Before we return to bringing light into darkness with our very special guest, Ricardo Venegas, and our discussion of the other 9-11, Chile, September 11th, 1973, we first wanted to share a few other kind remarks in support of bringing light into darkness that we received last week during our co-op membership drive. David said, enjoys bringing light into darkness and in California, doesn't feel the public radio out there is quite as good, so he streams us, Co-op Radio. An anonymous person says, loves Co-op Radio for promoting freedom of ideas and bringing light into darkness. Gary says, wants a shirt autographed by Pedro, appreciates all of the information Pedro provides, and looks forward to the show every week. We now return to bringing light into darkness as our guest, Ricardo Venegas fills us in on some history around Salvador Allende and the Popular Unity Party. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, everything that you said, I'm, I'm completely agree with that. I think that Allende become a, a dangerous element in politics, in, in the foreign policy for you, the U.S., because his main concern was the poverty, bring it to the table, and discussion and try to improve their lives. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like that creates conflict with, with as you mentioned, with companies, with where, where the money lives. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, also Agenda was a Marxist doctor, like a physician. Yeah, I, I would like to go like a little bit on, on the history of, uh, of Allende, because he was, uh, as a doctor, he was the minister of, of health in 1938, when uh, Pedro Guerrero Cerda was president, and their slogan was bread, a roof, and work. So that defined the, the presidency of uh, Aguirre Cerda. And uh, Allende was the minister, minister of Health. And uh, in that position, he passed a lot, uh, uh, some of the you know, most progressive social reforms in our country, like safety laws protecting workers in factories, pensions for widows, for the maternity care, and also as a senator, after that charge, he continued his career, and uh, he made a big achievement doing the legislation that created the first national health service that guaranteed the universal health care. So, yeah, after those charge in, in politics, he, yeah, he ran for president. He ran for president four times. The first time it was in uh, 1954, and the movement behind him just received 5% of the votes. In uh, 1958, he made 28% of the vote. Mm-hmm. And then he ran against Frey Montalva, the uh, conservative social Christian that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the moment when the U.S. was put in the eyes, you know, the ears and all the actions tried to destabilize, as you, as you mentioned, the country. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, there are several documents saying that the CIA... And, um, you know, the embassy, they, they spent, like, you know, as you, as you mentioned, millions of dollars to finance a lot of a campaign and anti-Agenda propaganda. Mm-hmm. So in, in that third time, Agenda run against Frey 
but also against the empire, against the, the willing of, uh, you know, people in Washington. Yeah, so can you talk about that just for a little bit about this neoliberal Washington consensus type of deal that was being promoted throughout South and Latin America and made great revenues for corporate world, the corporate investment capital, but it seemed to impoverish or did impoverish all these nations. I, I also wanted to mention, you mentioned the word Marxist because Allende was a Marxist. And I, and I, I just wanted to indicate that we are so influenced by our culture and media to associate certain words with negative connotations. And, you know, oh, we, yeah. we, we call those that dissent Marxists or communists or other terms that we have been taught to associate with evil, right? Yeah, and, and, yet, and yet what they were demanding and what Allende was demanding is exactly no more or no less than what we demanded in our own country when we sought to get out from under the thumb of the English crown and escape our own colonial exploitation by England, right? I mean, but were we Marxists then? <laughs> no. Yeah. You, know, you know, that type of thing, or at least not that in the evil connotation and such. So I just find that extraordinary that we are so uneducated as a population historically that we're so easily manipulated into emotional types of reactions to things that we don't or have not made the time to really, really understand what, yeah. what they are and, and, and Pedro, let me interrupt a little bit. Like, uh, it's in the newspapers. It, it was, you know, like, I find now that the president, the Johnson, the president uh, of uh, the United States, on September 1964, when this election was in the, you know, and the decisive moment, they followed the, the results. And when Frey won, he said, and I have the quote-unquote here, he addresses the importance of the Chilean election for the U.S., mm -hmm. saying that it served as a reminder of the strength of democracy institutions through Latin America. It was a victory for democracy as well as defeat for communism. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we are in the, in, in the middle of the Cold War. And in this case, my country became piece of this chess game. And all the sovereignty of, uh, you know, the election of, of that it was diminished. It was like, it was by with, with U.S. dollars. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. And so let's talk a little bit about this period of time following the coup you had incredible levels of repression that went on, and I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I do know that in Guatemala in the 60s and 70s, when we supported all those military governments, there were hundreds of thousands of people that perished, over 200,000 in Guatemala alone. And there were these death squad types of presentations that also extended into uh, El Salvador and into uh, Honduras. And in Chile, the penetration of the Chilean economy was immense, but they also, so much money went into police and to the army. In fact, we even assassinated the President Schneider that was loyal to Salvador Allende in order to co-opt uh, and seek to co-opt the military and the police. And then eventually, we even were instrumental in creating, their, what was it called, DINA, D-I-N-A, right? Can you talk a little bit about from, you know, I know you were 
probably too young at the beginning of it, but certainly you, yeah. you know that history. Tell us a little bit about, about the repression that went on from 73 to 1990 that then culminated in the, uh, in the return or the attempt to return to democracy. Yeah, I would like to make a little bit of a reminder of René Schneider. As you mentioned, he was yeah. a military that in this story was the, the person that was killed because he was doing his job. Defending the Constitution, right? Yeah. The Constitution says that the military forces obey the civil government. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are just to protect the country, protect the, the, the population. And this assassination, the René Schneider assassination, occurred right before Salvador Allende ratified, sorry, how do you say that? Just, beho- just because because Allende didn't reach the, the majority, the, the 50 plus 1 percent of the vote, so the, the Congress in Chile needs to ratify who is the president. Right. And uh, the tradition said that the, the most vote uh, candidate was the president. Mm-hmm. In that time, René Schneider were killed. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned, the money of CIA and the U.S. dollars were in the streets. And, you know, like, it was a plan to destabilize even in the beginning of, of the presidency of Allende. Right. That's interesting so, you say that because Allende, just for our audience, he was formally inaugurated as president on November 3rd, 1970. And it was October 22nd, 1970, in which General Schneider was assassinated. That's just a couple of weeks Earlier, the other thing, just before you return to your deal, there, there's a CIA book called The CIA File by Robert Borsage and John Marks, and they have a whole chapter on destabilizing Chile. And they indicated that part of their plan was try to court the Chilean armed forces through increased military assistance. So the military aid to Chile was some $800,000 in fiscal year 1970. But by 1971, it had jumped to $5.7 million, uh-huh. and, then to, wow. and then to $12.1 million in 72. So the American advisors played this really important role in encouraging their Chilean counterparts to see themselves as a, quote-unquote, force for stability against Marxism and the disorder, the disorder that was caused by the Allende rule. But it wasn't caused by the Allende rule. It was, it was caused by the subversion being promoted by all this CIA money, including, it just gets me so upset, but we even, and I know you know a lot about this, so the money that we invested, we actually supported a trucker strike in 72. Uh, in other words, we paid these people to yeah. uh, go on strike. Our whole policy was, in the words of, of Nixon, was to make the economy scream. So we subvert it in all these different ways, including the infiltration of unions within Chile and actually funding a trucker strike that literally paralyzed transportation within the country. Additionally, in addition to paying $25,000, according to William Colby, to help an individual purchase a radio station, the CIA spent large sums on El Mercurio, the shrill conservative daily that openly advocated insurrection against the Allende government. El Mercurio was financed because, according to Colby, it was the only serious political force among the newspapers and the television stations there, end quote. Again, this is from the CIA file by Borsage and John Marks. But please continue with your history there, please. Yeah. 
So uh, Allende remained odd in the Chilean Congress. So Frey Montalva, the last president, was part of this coalition, this alliance with the opposition of Allende. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to prevent to uh, Chile became a, a Cuban-style Marxist dictatorship. So uh, the Congress start to opposition of of the of the president. Mm-hmm. And something that is important, like uh, uh, you mentioned, Nixon and Henry Kissinger, like planned, you know, like he said something like, "Okay, we are going to try to destabilize this, mm-hmm. but if we can't, a coup d'état is not a bad idea." Mm-hmm. And that was in the in the back of uh, you know the history all the time during this period. So I was saying Allende was in a political side with the Congress during the whole three years during the, his uh, presidency. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they asked him to, even before to, to become president, was to sign a document saying that he is going to respect the Constitution. Because uh-huh. uh, that was, you know, an imposition mm-hmm. on the first, very first day of uh, the government. And in 1974, Three, when the crisis was in maximum expression, Allende involved military officers into the government to give a signal that he's respecting the democracy and he's respecting what the opposition imposed. And he, uh, he gave a lot of signs of rationality and uh, repeatedly he said, like, I'm following the program that the people vote for. Mm-hmm. So the military, uh, there were some uh, officers uh, loyal to the Constitution, and they patriotically took charge of uh, in the Ministry of uh, Defense and, uh, and others. But one of the last officers, generals, to be uh, nominated or put in, the, in a charge was Augusto Pinochet. Salvador Allende put Augusto Pinochet in a trust position in the government. Yeah, as you mentioned before, there is a, this ex- extreme right-wing political party that is Patria y Libertad, and they receive money from the U.S. And, and just to be clear, this is a fascist group. They yeah. come, they, 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 they take you away. I mean, it's just unbelievable that this history the, is, is not known. The, they were civilians, mm-hmm. but extremely violent. I recommend to to watch the documentary of uh, Patricio Guzman, La Batalla de Chile, and uh, you can, you know, get the sense of how, you know, the country become with these fascist signs or very violence and on, the, on the streets because different ideologies. So I was saying, like, in 1972, a call, uh, an officer of uh, the military, he decided, together with Patria Libertad, we are going to attack the presidential palace. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the first attempt from the, milita- the civico-military side of, of our country that shows the first, you know, we can do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can do this. We, we, can, we can be violent. We can be irrational. We can uh, not respect the popular opinion about the, the agendas program. Mm. And uh, we can break the democracy tradition in our country. Yeah, it seems really interesting. You know, this book I was telling you about, the CIA file, 
It goes on to indicate that the CIA Director William Colby testified before the House Services Committee in April 22, 1974, and indicated that his agency dispensed $3 million to ensure Allende's defeat back in 1964. <laughs> Other reports put the estimate as high as $20 million, but in other words... We are so involved in these other nations. The other thing was this boasted in, a, in, in an interview that, that this uh, CIA assistance was supplemented by aid from private American business that were sympathetic to some of the Brazilian allies, in fact. In other words, this is the, the cohesion between the moneyed interests and the governments to uh, create this stuff. And, he's, and, and, and this, the head of this Brazilian think tank, Dr. Glycon de Paiva, P-A-I-V-A, boasted in a late 1973 interview with the Washington Post, quote, the recipe exists and you can bake the cake anytime. We saw how it worked in Brazil, referring to the 1964 Brazilian coup, and now in Chile, he said. We already talked about the trucker strike. That's part of baking the cake. That was a 26-day nationwide truck strike in the summer of 1972, financed by the CIA. In the CIA file by Barisage and John Marks that we've been citing in this show, in the chapter Destabilizing Chile, they explain, quote, 108 leaders of the White Collar Trade Associations received training in the United States from the American Institute of Free Labor Development, the AIFLD, an agency that, according to Philip Agee, the former CIA agent and author, the AIFLD was set up by the AFL-CIO under the control of the CIA. We already mentioned the Patria y Libertad, Homeland and Liberty Group, this uh, fascist group that not only terrorized people, but it had a campaign of sabotaging factory equipment to hobble the economy. Meanwhile, U.S. and Western-controlled banks denied Chile monies. For example, the Export-Import Bank denied Chilean requests for $21 million in loans and loan guarantees needed to purchase three jets for their national airline. And quote, in Chile, as in Brazil, right-wing think tanks were established to distribute propaganda, organize paramilitary units, coordinate intelligence, and train demonstrators and saboteurs. In Chile, as in Brazil, massive amounts of money poured into the country to support strikes, demonstrations, and other anti-government activities. This is the cake that they could bake at any time to make sure that the government never pointed its priority towards the interests of the majority population, but always remained subservient for investment capital. And this is what Salvador Allende was challenging, and that is why he had to go. And this whole recipe to bake the cake was created covertly by the CIA and U.S. This whole cake was basically carrying out the orders of the presidency of the United States when Nixon said, make the economy scream. And these different strategies of destabilization have surely continued to evolve and develop since 1973, while the U.S. intelligence and U.S. government remains loyal to the principles that Eisenhower verbalized back in 1960, that the hand of the U.S. must be kept out of the narrative, essentially endorsing lying to the American public time and time again. We have just a few minutes left. There was this whole program, the Condor program, that I know you're... Mm. This was not just specific to Chile, was it? This was a program of many government militaries that were being led by the U.S. and were providing repression throughout the southern cone of South America and, and much of Latin America. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about the Condor program in the last minute or two that we have left? Yeah, I can try. Uh, it, uh, you have South Latin American countries in a coalition to, how you say this, this cooperation between dictatorships and authoritarian governments in Latin America, known as the Condor Plan, was a military cooperation. Uh, countries like, uh, you know, like uh, Argentina, Chile, Uruguay, Paraguay, Bolivia, Brazil, Ecuador, and Peru were involved in these undercover operations to uh, defeat communism in the in the region. And uh, when I said this, defeat is was like killing people, disappearing people in their countries, and they collaborate to do so. People that get out of the country in Chile, for example, and went to Argentina, the undercover elements of the military or uh, civil police find this person or this group of people and they uh, disappear socialists or 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 even even just academics like they were involved in a different ideology or beliefs Um, so it's a huge human right violation it's systematic and uh it's planned and uh, we can link this with the School of Americas that was uh, created by the U.S. in Panama right. in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can link this because the main officers that study in that school, then they meet or, or they came back to, to their countries and they create this organization with the same instructions that they receive in Panama, how yeah. to disappear people, kidnapping, and etc. That was in the manual. Yeah, and they were dropping them from helicopters from way up in the air. Yeah, no. All of yeah. this stuff. So, so even though the United States may not have been the ones that actively organized it, what you're saying is many of the graduates from the School of Americas were then rejoined and created these monstrous entities as a byproduct of their training from the School of Americas, I guess is what you're saying. Uh, Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, listen, we are out of time. I want to just remind folks that we have been speaking about the other 9-11, and it's an incredible history. There's so much to learn about U.S. foreign policy and different techniques of subversion from the example. We've touched on some of them. We've had the great privilege of visiting with Ricardo Venegas of Chile and a U.S. citizen now for many years here in the United States. Ricardo, thank you for the education and would love to invite you to come back to continue this discussion. We're just, we're just out of time right now, though. That would be great. Thank you so much for the invitation and having me on in your program. Thank right. you so much, Pedro. It's a great, it's a great honor. Hey, we end the show with a few more comments from the membership drive about bringing light into darkness. Kent says, listening in Marfa, Texas, to the best show on the radio. Yvonne says, appreciates insightful analysis and discourse, as well as Pedro's longtime commitment to the show. Wordy says, liked the Julian Assange show, wants America to stop hating immigrants. And Ken said, Pedro, keep bringing light and facts into the darkness of mainstream media. Thank you all for these very kind comments and look forward to learning together into the future. 
See you next week. Coming up next, do not go anywhere unless you're not on KOOP.org right now. Switch on over to the internet if you're on the FM dial to hear Emo Diaries with Co-op's very own Stephanie at the Disco. I can't wait. And we go out as we do every week with Land of Naivety. See you.